making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same king prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. And good morning, everyone. This is Press Room for Monday the 13th of November. Thanks for your company. Big show coming up. Great to be back after... A break last week. Ben Dorries on the line in just a moment. Ray Thomas will join us. I want to talk to Chris Barsby because the Inner Dominion were now on countdown to ID 23. It's less than three weeks away and the New Zealand Cup is on tomorrow. So a bit to discuss with Chris. Of course, all the South Australian news with Ben Scannon and Colin McNiff will round it out with what's happening in Tassie. Always interested in what you think. You can contact me or tweet me at Radio Tab Oz. Or the best way, as you know, is to text me at 499 putter. 0499-786837, 0499-786837. Of course, the podcast goes in each week, but if you like that, we tweet the link out on Radio Tab Oz, or you can go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab. Press room each and every Monday is brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. Well, the general consensus was that this year's Winter Carnival was one of the best on record, apart from the perfect weather and the outstanding crowds. The racing boasted strong interstate representation and enough performances rated good enough to be parlayed into the Spring Carnivals. And as the results show, that consideration was delivered in spades. And there can be no stronger endorsement of the Carnival than without a fight's Caulfield Cup Melbourne Cup double, a scenario not achieved since Ethereal's Cup double in 2001. Without a Fight was actually specifically aimed for a light winter carnival campaign, and that included the Premier's Cup and Q22 triumphs. It was those wins that many considered a great pointer to his spring prospects, as it ultimately turned out. And the well-held belief that the Stradbroke is not only Queensland's greatest race, but one of Australia's most prominent, was cemented when Think About It won the Everest after his Stradbroke victory. Of course, it's not the first time an Everest winner has made their presence felt during our carnival. You might recall Redzel won the Doom in 10,000 in 2017 before capturing the inaugural Everest. And also worth remembering, Alligator Blood won the 2022 Stradbroke, so our Premier Sprint has clearly got its mojo back, which is great to see. Carnival players Radina and Kovalika quit out of the Epsom, while Atishu, who was barely cited in her winter carnival assignments, won the Champion Stakes at Flemington at the weekend. Five of the 12 Everest runners, three of the 12 Cox Plate contenders and four of the 24 Melbourne Cup entrants all raced during our carnival. It's not hard to see why our winter carnival is in its strongest position for a long time. A well-coordinated racing program offering something for everyone at strong prize money levels. And racing is conducted on two now excellently performing tracks with that residual fitness edge regarded as a key component by many trainers who target the spring. But enough of the rear vision mirror. It's only days away to the start of the summer carnival at the Sunshine Coast this Saturday. You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab. Ben Dorries joins us first up this morning. Ben, good morning. Yeah, good morning, David. And as I outlined in the editorial there, we all enjoyed the carnival. We said it was a good carnival. Uh, but uh, as we've seen... A lot of that form has been frank with some great results during the spring. So it really puts our carnival, I think, in a, in a, in a very good position. Oh, 100%. And it's easy to say uh, now, isn't it? And it's right. But look, I started covering racing, I reckon, about 10 years ago after a reasonable career covering cricket. And 
Um, you know, it's not that long ago, is it, that racing in Queensland was really in the doldrums, you know, low prize money, track wars, um, you know, and it became a sort of, for quite a few years, a bit of a dumping ground at carnival time for third-tier sort of southern horses, you know. The, the, the snap and crackle really went out of the winter carnival there for a while, but, look, it's back where it belongs, and it's terrific, and I think we can hold our heads high as, uh, as Queenslanders that... Um, the races and the winners that those races are, are producing and, you know, even the place getters in, in, in some cases are holding up tremendously well. I mean, not only the ones you've mentioned, but we saw Redina, Redina uh, win, obviously, um, beat Yellow Brick up here and then go on to win the Epsom as well. So there's another one. And, and Antino, obviously, was Group 1 placed and, and it's been a hard luck story on various occasions and the list goes on. So... Yeah, terrific stuff, and um, you know, with enhanced prize money, um, uh, you know, and I think the administration's definitely on the right track, um, onwards and upwards from here, David. Yeah, exactly. Just one thing to those marketing gurus at Racing Queensland or the BRC: can we go back to something traditional, which of course, it, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment as well, but just call it the Queensland Winter Carnival. I know the first month is in May, which is officially autumn. Just call it the Winter Carnival. That's what everyone calls it. That's what everyone has called it. That's what everyone will continue to call it. So don't take it with Thoroughbred Racing Carnival, South East Queensland Carnival. Just call it the Winter Carnival. Speaking of the Winter Carnival, of course, the Summer Carnival starts this Saturday, but uh, we read a story yesterday on Racestead and uh, confirmed today that the Gateway is now going to have a, a twist to it in relation to the Stradbroke. Previously, the winner of the Gateway was ballot free, got the ticket into the Stradbroke, that can still happen, but more can happen now around the, the winning owner or owners. Yeah, look, it's a really intriguing one. So effectively, the connections of the Gateway winner can negotiate, um, you know, to, to run another horse, uh, you know, apart from their own horse, oh, sorry, instead of their own horse, uh, in the Stradbroke. Now, there, there's some conditions around this that the horse that ultimately fills the slot must be in the top 40 order of entry come sort of final acceptances in the week before the Stradbroke. So it's intended, I guess, to be, uh, you know, if you're in the gateway and you think you've got Buckley's of winning a Stradbroke and you're just going around for practice and you just buy something in the, you know, I don't know, sort of 28th in the in the ballot order or something like that, that that is going to be on the periphery of getting a run or not get a run, you can you can then go and do a deal with, the, you know, the trainer and the connections of that slot. So, look... I mean, there's been a little bit of negativity about it just in terms of sort of buying your way into a Group 1 race effectively. But, I, look, I think on balance, I don't mind it. I think it improves... Well, it's got to improve generally, the, the you know, the, the quality of the race. Absolutely no disrespect to the connections of TikTok Queen last year or, or Master Jamie in a previous year. But, look, I mean, those horses were going around huge odds in a Stradbroke uh, after winning the gateway, TikTok Queen actually performed really credibly in the Stradbroke. But look, that's probably not the, the, the point, I guess. So look, um, yeah, I suppose the jury's out a little bit on where this goes. But I think on balance, uh, if it's going to improve the quality of the race, and we see, I mean, for instance, last year Antino obviously missed out, Yellow Brick missed out, these kind of horses. You know, if one of those horses had been elevated into Stradbroke last year, or sorry, this year I'm talking about, not last year, this year, uh, I think it would have elevated the quality of the race, which is a good thing. Now, how will the machinations play out? Uh, in terms of the deals that are done, uh, it'll, it'll be a really interesting watch, David. I do think it'll add to the theatre of the last couple of weeks of the Stradbroke. But, look, I understand uh, the other side of it. Um, 
you know, that people may not be convinced about sort of effectively buying your way into a Group 1 race. How do you feel about it? Uh, I'm against it, but that means little because it's been decided upon. But just, just some background of this, which is worth just refreshing our listeners' memories. I mentioned on this very program after the Stradbroke, I said there's definitely chatter around that whether it be the BRC or Racing Queensland and or both, we're keen to look at having a wild card concept for the Stradbroke next year. Now, this, I have little doubt, came out of the fact that Yellow Brick and Opal Ridge didn't secure starts in the Stradbroke. They were the emergencies. I think it's also worth pointing out, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but Yellow Brick and Opal Ridge haven't won a race since uh, the, uh, the, the, the winner. That's by the by. But... I applaud the BRC and, the, and Racing Queensland for the way they've gone about this. They've virtually deflected responsibility for themselves onto it and given it the responsibility to the owner through winning the gateway. Now, what does it do for the gateway race? This is important. Um, the gateway, of course, clashes with the Ingham uh, on December 9. The Ingham's worth $2 million. The gateway, $300,000. The race is for four-year-olds. Most of all, the best four-year-olds have now gone for a spell after the Golden Eagle. So what will we see in the gateway? I'll guarantee we'll see this. We'll see 20 runners. I bet you Tony Gold has six or seven runners in the race. Uh, and just, I, I, can, I can understand that the people will gravitate to the gateway to say, we can actually, by winning this race, secure a slot for the Stradbroke. I get that. Um, but again, the... the the wild card concept of not following a traditional path, it's a handicap. You earn your way in there. There's, everyone has the, 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 the same way to get there. Um, doesn't sit well with me, but, but wiser heads have, have come together and, and decided on this. So uh, I think they've done it in a very, very um, clever way. So we'll see how it pans out. But yeah, the gateway on December 9. Uh, let's talk about Gold Coast. Now, of course, Gold Coast is an integral part of our summer carnival, the big two days in January, the wave on the the 6th of the Magic Millions on the 13th. It looks as though, and we've been saying this for the last couple of months, it looks as though December 9 will be the return date for the race meeting, the grass track race meeting. Yeah, there was some debate whether it would be December 2 or December 9, but it's virtually set in stone now. It is December 9. Um, so, look, there's some, some unofficial jump-outs sort of on the way and potentially um, maybe as soon as next week even some official trials. So, look, we've spoken to, um, you know, a few of the jockeys who, who've ridden there. They've, they've put a few horses over there already, including, um, I think, a half a dozen or, or six or eight, certainly, late last week. And Martin Harley... Uh, we spoke to at Dooman on the weekend, and now he's an internationally renowned jockey. He's ridden everywhere, all over the world, and he said it was he said it was perfect. Just about, he said it was a, you know he said it looked like a golf course. Now, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know necessarily whether you want to be racing on a golf course, but certainly in terms of the look of it, uh, he said he said it felt terrific. So look, I mean that's one thing I suppose. Galloping a few horses over it, how it performs under race day pressure, and you know obviously the, the weather has been. Um, pretty consistent lately, you know, like if we suddenly get a lot of hot weather or a lot of rain or, or whatever it is. But, um, look, I, I suppose the proof will be in the pudding, won't it? Uh, we'll just have to wait and see um, how it all unfolds because, look, there's, there's there's not only the Magic Millions meeting with, I think, 11 races there on the Saturday and, and you know, obviously the beefed-up prize money was the $3 million three-year-old guineas and the two-year-old classic. But obviously the week before... 
uh, is that important wave meeting as well, um, and that's primarily important not for the wave really, but for the, you know, for the races. Uh, and there's two of them, obviously, they're the last chance sort of saloon races to get you in to the two-year-old Magic Millions, so that, you know, the Phillies and the, and the Colts and Geldings division. So that's a particularly important uh, meeting as well. So I mean, all eyes in Australian racing will be on the Gold Coast. Um, certainly from early January and we hope for the best. The signs are looking good. We certainly, um, you know, there was a few black eyes there last year, wasn't there, obviously, with the meeting having to be rescheduled uh, when the track wasn't up to scratch. But um, all signs are good at the moment, David, uh, until they're not, but they certainly are at the moment. Well, all eyes were on the, the five uh, diamonds at Rose Hill Gardens on a Saturday if you're a Dooman race course until all of a sudden it vanished off the screen because the Dooman... Race 7 jumped, and if you were at home or off track, uh, you could watch the the Five Diamonds, but uh, you couldn't see Doombin. So, I mean, the, the fact that these two races clashed was a very bad error. Oh, a bad error. I mean, look, this was absolutely bloody ridiculous, David. I, I mean, it was... You know, to think in this day and age, we are in 2023, to, to think that this sort of thing can happen... Uh, where basically a metropolitan race um, you, you can't actually watch on any of the main channels on TV. I mean, it was just it was just a ridiculous decision to start. I mean, look, fair enough. The Sydney race, the Five Diamonds, was I think seven or eight minutes delayed uh, because of you know a horse had to be reshot and there was another issue. So there was that going on. I understand that there was pressure involved, etc., uh, etc. Et you can't delay a race, you know, for, for, for all eternity, waiting for another race to start. But look, just to start the race in Brisbane when the Five Diamonds was. was sort of, I don't know, a third of the way through. I mean, it was just completely ludicrous stuff. I mean, the words common and sense obviously never came into this decision. So, look, as you say, uh, if you're, you know, watching the main broadcast channels, Channel 7 and, and Sky 1, uh, obviously you couldn't have seen the Dooman race. And if you're on track, uh, obviously all the, you know, most of the screens there changed to the on-course vision, so you couldn't watch the five diamonds. So everyone lost. It was bloody ridiculous, David. So let's hope it never happens again. Yeah, the, the, the bottom line was the loading process of Dooman should have either been stalled or slowed down so that by the time the five diamonds was completed, the last one or two move up at Dooman and the race is run. So that should have happened. It didn't. Let's, as you say, hope it doesn't happen again regardless whether it's the Five Diamonds or a Benchmark 78, Saturday rate, Metropolitan races should not be clashing. Uh, quickly before you go, Jamie Carr hit her straps with a treble there at Flemington on Saturday, but uh, she faces uh, an important issue today. Yeah, it's a two-day hearing at the Victorian Racing Tribunal. This is uh, in regards to that um, you know, alleged white powder uh, issue. She has pleaded... Uh, not guilty to a misconduct charge over uh, over this issue. So, look, um, you know, she will obviously be front and centre uh, for the next couple of days. Uh, we remember this uh, story pretty well. I probably don't need to go into the ins and outs of it, and it's before the lawyers and before the racing tribunal now, so there's probably not that much more I can say. But, yeah, Jamie Carr certainly back in form. She was no doubt out of form for quite a while, but... Uh, she's really hit her straps in the last couple of weeks, but yeah, it faces a significant issue, a uh, significant moment, I should say, in her racing career and arguably her life uh, in front of the Victorian Racing Tribunal for the next couple of days. Traditionally, the, the meeting at Flemington on Saturday ends their spring carnival, but it's, there's a difference this year with Caulfield now running this Saturday with two Group 1 races, the Sir Rupert Clark and the Thousand Guineas. Yeah, I don't love it, David. I, I mean, look, I suppose... 
you know, when we get to Saturday and there's a couple of Group 1 races, I mean, probably no one's really going to be, you know, any punters probably not going to be saying, oh, gee, I wish these weren't on. I suppose once you get to the day, you know, it adds something to it, doesn't it, I guess. But it feels like... It feels a bit like the footy codes. You, you know, when you have, you know, the NRL grand final, the AFL grand final, and then sort of after after the, the big grand final, you know, there, there's a there's a tour match of it, you know, Australia and Samoa or an international rules footy match or something. It just It just feels like we've already reached a crescendo with with Melbourne Cup Week and, and Champions Day, as we, we spoke on Past the Post about yesterday, was fabulous. Uh, and it just seems to me the bells and whistles now have probably gone away a little bit. Um, so, look, this 1,000 guineas Rupert Clark meeting, both races have been rescheduled, one from September, one from October. Again, I suppose the proof will be in the pudding, uh, but it does feel like a bit of a weird sort of tack-on. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how wagering goes. Um, but bottom line is there's two Group 1s up for grabs, another week of Group 1 racing, so maybe it's not a bad thing. Who knows? Now, I think you've mellowed a bit because I can recall a certain person saying to me on this program or past the post, we should be racing, feature racing more in the period where there's no other sport on. No, I think what you'll find is, I said, this is this was in regard to the Caulfield Cup. This is when we had the agreement, the, the the debate about this was in the COVID period, when uh, the MRC were looking to broaden, um, you know, the appeal of racing in late uh, sort of November when there's not much else on. And I could very much understand that. I mean, look, I could understand the argument the other way too. Some you know, people, including yourself, were saying having a Caulfield Cup after a Melbourne Cup is ridiculous and whatever. But I didn't mind their thinking. Having a big marquee Group 1, uh, a real draw card event uh, in mid to late November to keep you know eyeballs on racing. But I would suggest neither the Rupert Clark or the Thousand Guineas are marquee events for racing, David. Fair enough. You have a good day. We'll talk soon. See you, David. There he is, Ray Thomas. Oh, Ray Thomas, Ben Dorries joining us. Ray Thomas is joining us now. He's been very patient on the line too. Ray, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good morning, David, and good morning, everyone. Well, our carnivals are winding down. You've still got a couple of big provincial features to go. Of course, Newcastle this Saturday, Kemble the following week, and we've got that big Ingham race in December. Uh, we've just been talking about Melbourne. But over the past few months, uh, as a journalist, Ray, you've, you've covered Sydney extensively. You've been watching Melbourne as well. They have been two great carnivals. Uh, they certainly have, and uh, I think um, so many highlights in both venues. And to be fair, I think the Melbourne Carnival, uh, the Caulfield Cup, the Cox Plate, the Melbourne Cup have been three of the better runnings of those races for, for a number of years. And um, whether why that is the case, whether competition is proving just that and, and lifting the bar for everybody, I don't know, but um, it certainly has been a, a spring carnival to remember for both cities. It certainly has. Was there a highlight for you? I, I think in Sydney, I think the, the Everest, um, and I, I guess that's going to be the case most years because the build-up is so um, extraordinary and so long um, and the focus on that race is like none other, particularly in Sydney. So when you get a contest, as we saw um, in the Everest last month, we think about it winning narrowly. It was a fantastic race, and it, it lived up to the hype and then some, but there were so many other highlights. I thought the King Charles, the decision to move the old George Main to Everest Day was a masterstroke. I know Fangirl was a dominant winner, but it was a high-quality race, and it, it added to the occasion. I think if Everest Day lacked one thing, it was 
a legitimate Group 1 race on the day. The King Charles, the old George Main, provided that and just made the day so special. And I think going forward, um, uh, you can only see the, the Everest day itself getting bigger and bigger again, if that is possible at all, David. Mm. Look, the, the carnivals operate successively, successfully independently. Of course, actually we have mm. some crisscrossing, Sydney to Melbourne, Melbourne to Sydney. I suppose the question that was left unanswered at the end of the, the main thrust of both carnivals was surrounding Imperatrice, and it created a lot of discussion that she didn't go to the Everest. Connections concentrated on Melbourne, and um, she performed brilliantly, um, uh, yep. a clean sweep and uh, taking three Group 1s. Um, I'm fascinated uh, with two things with Imperatrice, and I want to uh, get your thoughts this morning. Her program, what do you think it will be? Because they have, the Connections have indicated that this will be her last season of racing. Um, yeah. Does do we look at the championships in the autumn? Do we look at Ascot in the in, in our winter? Do we look at a possible tilt of the Everest, which goes into another season in October? It's quite intriguing what they'll do or where they'll go. Yeah, I, I think the Everest is probably off the table if this will be her last season mm. of racing because. The Everest is October 19 by memory next year, so by the time she gets trained up, runs in that, etc., I, I dare say she wouldn't be put to a, a stallion prior to the Everest. So you're actually going to get your first foal quite late in the in the cycle, so to speak, David. So uh, I don't think the Everest is is a possibility. Certainly, um, you would envisage the TJ Smith Stakes would be the race that they will want to target. I know she's just dynamite around the value of the William Reed's there for the taking. Maybe they go via the William Reed and bring her up for the TJ. Who knows? Royal Ascot could be done. Um, they could get her back from England in time for the, the Southern Hemisphere breeding season. But uh, she has been an absolute star in Melbourne. And you just hope that at some stage next autumn, we get an opportunity to see Imperatriz, the Think About It, the Giga Kick, the I wish I win. Wouldn't that be a sprint race for the ages, David? And it's amazing, isn't it, uh, how, how we've sort of temporarily forgotten about Giga Kick because, of course, he yeah. he pulled he pulled up stumps early. But I was saying yesterday on Past the Post, um, you know, she was, I think, a little unfairly criticised by winning the Valley races, but at least on Saturday, I mean, she held Bonus Notches in Secret Espiano. They were Everest runners, but as you say, mm. the I wish I win the think about of the private eye uh, she hasn't uh, contested against but yeah, it will be interesting I, I hope we do see her in Sydney in the autumn she's, yeah. a, she's a wonderful mayor and, and she'd be a worthy representative for New Zealand at Ascot just back on the home front, Rose Hill Gardens on Saturday this two year old that won I know early yeah. seasons can sometimes be a trap form wise but everything I've seen about this horse two starts, two wins but particularly on Saturday Having to work hard and, uh, as I think Luke Marlow said in the call, burn the candle at both ends. I thought show this horse, yeah. this horse Shangri-La Express is well above average. Yeah, an exceptional performance from a young horse having just his second start. And to your, your point, he had to work hard from a, a whitish barrier. He's got good speed. He hasn't got brilliant speed out of the gates, but he's got good speed and he quickly mustered and was able to cross and find the fence. But then he, he was given no peace, was he? David and Regan Bowers, who rode the colt, rode him with intent to find the fence, but then had to ensure he maintained that lead. And 
so he had to do it at both ends. He was very strong late. He still won by a comfortable margin, and um, he's a high-quality cold, and I know it's very early in the season to make such statements, but I think he is the best tourer we've seen so far in Sydney at least, and that's taking into, a car, in, into account that the, the breeders plate won by espionage was a high-quality breeders, but whether he goes to the Magic Millions and then to the Golden Slipper now is is um, the big question mark because winning that golden gift on Saturday, David, $580,000 first prize money, he's guaranteed his place in the Golden Slipper next mm. autumn. That comes around in mid-March. So um, he's going for a week's rest in the paddock, so to speak, now, and then um, Adrian Bott and Gay Waterhouse will decide if they do something like they did with Dance Hero, or Gated with Dance Hero all those years ago and have a spring campaign go to the Magic Millions, which Dance Hero won, and then come back for the autumn. Bearing in mind, David, that Dance Hero, of course, was a gelding. Shangri-La Express now is a, a colt and already worth a lot of money. Yeah, exactly right. I, I, I don't think they'll be against the idea, and I think probably in the end the horse will, will tell them mm. uh, which, which way they go. Speaking of which way we're going, we're going to Newcastle on Saturday for the Hunter. Marzu's at 4.50 on tab fixed. Colt Crusher... Overpass at six, far too easy. Eight dollars. King of Sparta, eight dollars. Opal Ridge Rustic Steel, eleven. This is a good addition. Well, shaping is a good addition for the, of the Hunter. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and Marzu's presence um, will will just ensure that being a Group One winner. Overpass trial this morning. He's more likely to go to Perth, David, rather than run at the Hunter. Right. Um, a, a mare like Opal, Opal Ridge, who didn't have much luck last start and in the invitation to be fair was probably a, a touch disappointing I, I was talking to dylan gibbons about her he's only ridden her twice the previous time he rode her was when she was so dynamic in the luskin star at scone and he thought being inside runners back amongst it she didn't get a lot of clear galloping room in the straight she just didn't appreciate uh, the position that she was in the field so the intent on saturday will be to make sure she gets clear galloping room out towards the centre of the track. And we know she's got a, a dynamic finishing burst. Cole Crusher was so good on first up, was in the giga kick. He might give them something to chase around Newcastle there. And, and Marzu, I know he, his form doesn't look sensational, but he hasn't been beaten far at the very, very top level of our sprinting ranks. So coming back a notch or two for the hunter, he'll be the top weight, but he'll be hard to beat as well. Just before you go on a broader point, we saw the Golden Eagle run last Saturday week, 20 runners. Um, we spoke with Peter Volandis uh, a few weeks ago, and I mentioned would there be any consideration of the Everest increasing from the 12 runners? He said no. Golden Eagle 20, there was interference in the home straight. Uh, it, it has raised a discussion about is the field too big, but from your point of view, do you think 20 is there to stay? Uh, yeah, look, I honestly don't know about this. And when when you were talking to me about it, I thought that's a really good point to look at because just take, for example, Bellana last year. Won the Silver Eagle, one of the favourites, Drew Barrier 20. Essentially, it, it, it's out of the race, isn't it? You need everything to go right for, for a horse who starts from gate 20 in that field around the 1500 at Rose Hill. It's a short run to the first turn and you go down the back to the, to the home turn. So... If you draw wide, you're in a spot of bother. 20 horses or 18, does it make much of a difference? I think it does. It's certainly a debate worth having. But in saying that, um, uh, we've had five runnings of the Golden Eagle so far. They've all been spectacular contests. So, Boo Ramai winning it this year from Japan. 
So if you've got a winning formula, it's hard to change, but it's certainly a debate worth having, David. And, of course, worth remembering the Big Dance had 20 there on, on Melbourne Cup Day. Mm. But it's funny, isn't it, just before you go, um, and, and you'll relate to this well, when we were growing up, field sizes could be, well, it's still 24 on the Melbourne Cup, but we, we could see 24 on the Epsom or the Doncaster, 24 yeah. on the Stradbroke. But across the board, not just in, in group mm. races, from maidens upwards, field sizes have reduced over the decades, yet... Track conditions have got better. We've got better running rails, yeah. the safer running rails. So we've got more safety employed, yet the field sizes have got less. It doesn't seem to sort of yeah. gel, does it? It's true, yeah. Just with the big dance, obviously that's the Randwick Mile start, and I'd argue there isn't a fairer start in Australian racing sure. from the 1600 at Randwick. So you had that long run to the first turn. The Golden Eagle, of course, different track, different circumference, and totally different in terms of how it's run. So... But yet, to your point, 100% right. When we were kids, it were big fields every every Saturday and uh, uh, 20-horse fields. We didn't even blink an eyelid. But these days, of course, the competition is so fierce and, and the level of competition is so high, the margin for error is so small and barrier draws are so important in the modern era and every trainer jockey will tell you that. That's, that's one thing for certain, David. Exactly right. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for your input. Thanks so much, David. Ray Thomas joining us this morning, uh, speaking about uh, all things Sydney. Let's turn our attention to harness racing now on past on past the post on pre, on press room. Leap to fame, bounce back as expected at Albion Park on Saturday night. And he bounced back in no uncertain manner. When I say bounce back, uh, that's probably a little unfair. Uh, things went right for Leap to fame, and we saw the best of him in that feature race at the Creek on Saturday night. Chris Parsby joins me now. Chris, good morning. David, good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. And it was uh, the way the draw panned out, a middle front row draw. He pushed forward. Control was going to be his, which it was. But it was the manner in which he won and the time that he ran that was just showed how good Leap to Fame is. Just take us through that. Yeah, he was able to dominate that race on Saturday night, David, and many expected him to come out and make a bit of a, a statement just in lead-up to ID23, which is only weeks away. He obliterated the track record, which he co-owned with his older half-brother in Swayze. That time was established earlier this year. They went 152 for 2,138 metres on Saturday night. He rated 151.7, won by a huge margin, easily, easily beating the best of the locals here. Uh, on Saturday night. And the most impressive part about that performance, David, and I've spoken to a few drivers, the track wasn't anywhere near its best there on Saturday night. Mm. It was a little heavy. So that just underlines his dominance there on Saturday night. He is the clear favourite for ID23 with Tab. He's at 250 as we speak. But it was just great to see him back in the winner's circle. He's been a victim of circumstances in a couple of recent defeats, and times are a lot different now compared to what it was back in the winter. He went unbeaten until uh, he tasted defeat in the Blanks of Fake, and we all know he had that wheel issue there. Was he going to win? Was he going to, to get beaten? Who knows? And that's always going to be there for, for people to debate and discuss. But he's been beaten in races like the Eureka, the Victoria Cup, and even last week in the Be Good Johnny Sprint, and he's had legitimate excuses. In two of those races, he's been parked out, forced to do all the work, and he's been picked off by a sniper late. And then last week in the Be Good Johnny Sprint, he just got beaten by the barrier draw. So he's probably lost that little bit of invincibility that he had going 
in the winter when he was five for five prior to that defeat in the blanks are fake. So it's different now compared to what it was back in July, but uh, he's still the horse to beat. He's still the number one horse in the state, and for mine, he's still the number one horse in the country. So this is his series to lose, and it's really important on so many levels that, you know, he comes out and and dominates his uh, home state into Dominion. $2.50 $2.50 for the Interdom Pacing Final, Saturday the 16th of December. Of course, the first round of heats on Friday the 1st. Uh, does he have another run between uh, Saturday night and the, the first round of heats? It's a great question and one that I don't know. I, I did speak with Grand Dixon last week and I, I posed the question to him. I said, will this just top him off for the ID series? And he said, oh, not sure. Uh, there is a open class race program this Saturday night and there is another open class race the following week so it it, it remains unclear but given how he performed there on Saturday night the time that he ran does he need another run well only Grand Dixon knows that along with his wife Trista so they'll make the call on whether he starts but the series is fast approaching as you said it's Friday December 1 first round of action so I'm not sure which way they'll go. Uh, It won't shock me to see him start again, but it certainly won't shock me either if they just decide to, you know, keep him in cotton and wool and wait for that series to start. The New Zealand Cup will be run at Addington tomorrow. Always uh, a great race and always a great day. Uh, One of uh, New Zealand's biggest days for the the racing codes. Um, Little will matter in terms of the Inter-Dominion because... uh, there's virtually no New Zealand mm-hmm. representation, but the performance of Swayze will be looked at closely tomorrow. This is a vital race as far as ID23 is concerned, purely because of that horse, uh, Swayze, tomorrow. So, as we know, this is the horse that beat Leap to Fame in the Blacks of Fake back during July at Albion Park. It's the only time they've clashed. Swayze was able to find the lead and, and, and prove too good. As I mentioned earlier, Leap to Fame had that wheel issue. But as far as racing Queensland is concerned, as far as promotional power is concerned, they need Swayze to win this race tomorrow in New Zealand. And he's a legitimate chance, there's no doubt. Akuta is the the, the favourite for this race. Uh, The horse from the All-Stars operation, Mark Purden, Natalie Rasmussen. But Swayze's on the second line of betting. And in the two runs back so far since he won the Blacks of Fake, he's been awesome. It looks like he's elevated his game even further, Swayze. So... For that, uh, Racing Queensland need him to win so they can have that little bit of promotional power to really get this series up and about because it's fast approaching and at this point in time, I think it's probably just a little low-key, but if Swayze comes out and wins, he'll do Racing Queensland a great service because they can say, get to Albion Park, December 1 through to December 16. Here we go. It's going to be the rematch. Brotherly love. Larry versus Patrick. They can talk it up any which way they like, and they've got something to build on. So if he can win tomorrow, that's great. And the other thing, if he wins tomorrow, it really throws down the the gauntlet on who's going to be crowned the Australian Harness Horse of the Year. I've mentioned this a few times. So Swayze's got the blacks of fake. If he wins the New Zealand Cup, uh, and then he comes back for the Inter-Dominion, if Leap to Fame wins the Inter Dominion, I think whoever wins the Inter Dominion out of that pair ultimately will be crowned the Australian Harness Horse of the Year. So it's a really important race this one tomorrow at Addington in Christchurch. Swayze needs to win for mine just to give Racing Queensland that little bit of uh, pulling power for the series. 
I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on this program that the Inter-Dominion was scheduled to be run at five minutes to six Queensland time. Have you heard anything more about that or has that gone quiet? It's gone quiet, but it's still lingering. It's still bubbling away. So I don't think anything's been confirmed as yet. So this is interesting because I took particular note of that uh, that uh, uh, morning when you announced that the, the series was being flagged to run at that time. I stood there in the box on Saturday night, David. Uh, Eagle, uh, Dooman was still racing, and I thought, this is going to be around the time that the Inter-Dominion Pacing Grand Final is going to be run. Uh, the Gallops were still on. Dooman was still on, which is only five minutes down the road from Albion Park. It just didn't feel right. It was still broad daylight as well, so... I'm not sure it's the right move. No, I'm certain it's not. And most people agree, but we'll we'll keep uh, tabs on that. And just one further thing, again, on a, a broader front, a couple of months ago, uh, it was announced that the government wanted to take Albion Park back earlier. Uh, Jason Scott and his team at Racing Queensland were working hard to try and have that uh, extended so, we, so the gap between leaving Albion Park and moving to the new Harness Racing Centre in Norwell would be as the least as possible. Uh, but there hasn't been much heard of that space over the last couple of months. Have you heard anything at all? Uh, I have, and I, I would say stay tuned. I, I, I'm expecting an announcement to be made during the ID series. So in the next couple oh. of weeks, between December 1 December 16, I won't be shocked if there is an announcement forthcoming from Racing Queensland about uh, the future of Albion Park and how long we've got there. So I'm expecting further news to come in the next couple of weeks. I'll be listening with interest. Thanks for your time this morning, mate. Always a pleasure. There he is, Chris Barsby. Someone spoke to me at the races on Saturday after the last, in fact, and um, was talking about the Mashani horses and uh, saying, how many races have they won? I did some facts and figures yesterday. Been a very successful early season for... Owner Mike Crooks, owner breeder Mike Cook, Crooks and uh, and Les Ross. We've had we've actually had ten juvenile races, eight at Metro Standard, two at the Sunshine Coast. Now, the Mashani team have won seven of the ten races. They've won five of the eight metros. Interestingly, there's been ninety-four two-year-olds contest those ten races over the last two months, and the Ross stable have supplied forty-eight of the ninety-four runners. So they've provided just over fifty percent. I mentioned they've won seven of the ten. They've won five of the eight at Metro level. They've had one trifecta, three Quinellas, but all up there, the win prize money, plus the bonuses, have netted uh, Crooks uh, and Ross just over 450000 So it's been very profitable. But it needs to be profitable because people forget a lot of money is spent. You know, training the horses, uh, uh, service fees, uh, the like. So the costs are high. So they need to win as much as they can, and they've done extremely well in the first two months of the season. Let's take a break here on Press Room. Back with Ben Scadden on the other side of this break. Racing HQ brought to you by Kia. Pick your favourite Kia from the award-winning Kia Sportage to the street-cred-delivering Kia Seltos or Kia's most powerful car ever, the all-electric EV6 GT. Don't just get a forklift. Now, 
Toyota Material Handling is having a massive clear-out of 2022 and 23 plated forklifts. Score great deals across a selected range of new Toyota forklifts currently in stock. Counterbalance and reach forklifts, walkie stackers and more. So if it's 22 or 23 plated, get a great Toyota forklift deal. Visit toyotamaterialhandling.com.au. Get a Toyota forklift. Season C's apply. Offer ends December 31. The very best of U.S. racing seven days a week. Goldrunner's on top of the world! He wins the Breeders' Cup Classic! Live and exclusive across the Sky Racing Network. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. All of its equine or canine, your one-stop shop is Garrard's Horse and Hound. They've got 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrard's Horse and Hound stock all of the big names and they provide the very best inventory services. You can buy the products online, horseandhound.com.au or a free uh, phone call, a phone, the free call number, 1-800-060-896, 1-800-060-896. Garrett's Horse and Hound, of course, present Press Room each Monday. Let's say good morning to Ben Scannon. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, David. Very well. Well, I know who is in a very good position is Jake Tayrock. He's had uh, one hell of a week. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just phenomenal, wasn't it? He, um, we looked back uh, just over a week ago and he won that, um, that John Letts Cup. And then on the, uh, yeah, on the Cup Day on Tuesday at Morpherville, career best five winners. There were 10 races on the card, but, um, I think Jake had eight rides and he, he had five winners, a third and two fourths. So, um, yeah, an absolutely career best day for him. And then when he just thought it probably couldn't get any better, he um, he went across to Flemington on Oaks Day um, with the Richard Chantel Jolly um, team. That's you know he rides predominantly for them, and then won that um, won the the Ottawa Stakes with uh, with Caravas. Uh, she's really impressive. Won that two year race up the straight. She uh, she did a terrific job. She's owned by Nev Morgan, so um, you know Nev. And Richard Chantel Jolly and Jake have had a had a wonderful association, a huge amount of success over, a, you know, quite a few years now. Kimmel Passer, I guess, is the the horse we think of most obviously, but I think this filly, she's um, she's certainly got a huge upside. Um, sounds like she'll be given a little bit of a breather now. She's won those two races this preparation first, um, you know, her, her first race campaign. Um, she'll come back and get ready for some for some nice races during the autumn. Heard Richard Jolly talking about her after the race and said she's, uh, you know, he's asked to compare her to See You in Heaven. He won that same race a couple of seasons back, and um, Richard said that he thinks that this Philly Caravas is is even more precocious, like just a natural running sprinting two year old. Um, whereas See You in Heaven's probably going to, you know, well she's stretched out to 1,600 meters. So exciting times for the stable and, and an amazing, amazing week for Jake Toroke. And a good week for South Australia too, particularly on Cup Day. I think it was. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, we um, had a lot of fun. I um, I backed <laughs> I backed some South Australian horses on on Cup Day um, at Flemington, but unfortunately chose the wrong ones. <laughs> but um, yeah, the map did a did a really good job, didn't she? She uh, look, she was nominated for the Melbourne Cup um, this year and was you know way down in the ballot order. wasn't going to get a run. Went to Geelong for the Geelong Cup and. Fair to say she raced a little bit below her best, but look, she was, I thought she was super um, in the 2800 metre race. Jamie Carr on board, she settled beautifully and she's really powerful. Eight, and I think she kind of stamped herself as a horse who, you know, in 12 months' time, there's no reason why she maybe can't progress to a race like the like the Melbourne Cup, um, you know, at least be a, be a runner at, um, 
Yeah, she's got a lot of upside, I think. Dan Clark and Uwe McGilvray, and then Wiggum did a really good job for Travis Dowdler. He, um, he sprinted really well as well. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a great day for the South Australian horses to win those those couple of races on, you know, one of the most watched race days of the year. Certainly is. Talk about Saturday. Um, this horse is flying cue, man. He ran in the first race, ran the favourite. Uh, we know he's an accomplished sprinter, but uh, that trial at Oakbank was extraordinary, <laughs> the margin and the time, and... Uh, he ran up to that, so he'll run in the the GTRA Tab final on the 25th of November. All of those finals being presented by Tab are happening on the same day. Yeah, that's right. A couple of a couple of weeks away, and it's going to be an absolutely bumper day. You're right, Cumin. He uh, yeah was exceptional. Well, like, like I said, that trial was out of this world. I think he won by 15, 20 lengths or something like that, and just absolutely insane. You know, yeah, pretty strong trial as well. It wasn't so easy, you know, you know galloping against maidens over some some very well established sprinters in that trial to wake bank and absolutely demolished them and then abs- completely carried that through to, to saturday where he kind of sat up on the speed outside the leader and just cruised away justin potter on board really didn't knock him around at all he was just absolutely super he's low flying that horse at the moment so yeah he goes to the uh the g trial final as you said in a couple of weeks it's worth 100 grand um They've got a, a really nice team at the moment, Shane and Cassie Oxley. Um, their stable mate, Zeripper, who you know we've seen come out and he won, won first up very impressively. He's uh, at this stage going to run in the uh, the Village Stakes at Caulfield on Saturday. So, um, yeah, they've got a couple of very, very high-quality sprinters at the moment, that stable. And Shane, Shane Oxley's always done a, done a really good job with a, a relatively small team. Um, but, yeah, they're racing the peak of their powers at the moment. When I was... Um hosting on Saturday morning, speaking with Brett Davis and Nadia Horn, Del Crader was an in-market runner and both of them had it in their, their top uh, four selections. I looked at the trainer's name and there's a name I, I don't know and I didn't want to embarrass myself by asking who Rob Lepley was but ultimately Del Crader won the race and well, to say it's been a long time between drinks for Rob would probably be an understatement. Yeah, look, Rob um, you know, I've feel like I maybe met Rob 20 years ago potentially when he trained his last last winner at Morpherville um, that was Sanctuary Miss, he won in 2005 which probably would line up with my um, my career when I was at the Advertiser I mean, well I've met him then but he trains down in the south east predominantly, um, I'm not sure where his property property actually is but I think he does a fair bit of work out at the Mount Gambier stable, also read that he's um, galloped horses at Millicent as well but you know, just trains literally one or two horses at a time um, so it's not a, a full-time thing for, for Rob. But, um, yeah, Del Crader, and it was absolutely smashed in betting as well. Jumped to $1.60. Um, yeah, there are a few people who were on it beforehand, and, yeah, obviously a few more got on before the jump. And he won well. Um, the the runner-up horse that got very, very close late, Del Crader seemed to, like, lay it out a little bit in the straight and almost threw the race away, but did a really, did a really good job. And, um, yeah, it's always nice to see... Um, trainers like that who you know just chip away in the in the background like I said you know just train a horse for the love of it and um, yeah, get a get a city winner would have meant a huge amount to him I would have thought. Stuart Gow was another trainer in the winner's circle on two occasions in fact and uh, well the putters mightn't have been that uh, sweet about it but the bookies <laughs> certainly were. Yeah I heard Stewie talking after the uh, the first horse one left turn Clyde and He's saying he couldn't believe the price. I mean, it's easy to say after the race, isn't it? But um, he said, you know, he backed him and was very happy. I think he said he got $75 or something. The horse officially jumped $81 left turn Clyde. 
it's a horse that um, it's a home breed and did a really good job. Street Stable is racing very, very well at the moment. So yeah, left turn Clive got the job job done. Then Master at Arms, another horse who's been racing very, very well without any any luck. Um, yeah, he got the job done in the um, in the Happy Trail series heat um, later on in the day. He was about a ten dollar chance and. I think there are a few people who fancied Master at Arms. They said he has been racing very well. He's a New Zealand bred that they brought across, and um, a lot of very long-time faithful stable owners are in both those horses. So um, I think there was a they were doing a pretty good party on the Saturday night, and yeah, they're both now, or from what I understand, they both push on to their respective Tab Series finals. Um, left turn Clyde into the Resist final, and um, as I said, Master at Arms in the Happy Trails final on that Tab finals day in a fortnight. Yeah, Master at Arms was uh, an on-top tip from Brett Davis as well. I've always considered Stuart Gower a fairly crafty or canny trainer. Is, is that a yep. fair description? Yeah, absolutely. He's always had you know very, very good success with it, with not a massive team. Spent some time on the sidelines, which he kind of openly talks about as well, and I think that was you know a life-changing experience for him. He was, he was disqualified for a period of time and ended up he was driving a courier van for a for a chunk of time there and he came back and it was it was a real struggle for him so I think he's been hugely grateful for the support he's had from those those stable clients who came back to him as soon as he started training again after that disqualification um, but yeah, he's very very clever trainer um, certainly knows his knows his horses um, yeah and can get a get a good price winner every now and then I think when they when the stable expects them to run well they almost always do Exactly right. Good on you, Ben. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, David. Ben Scannon joining us on Press Room. Let's go to Colin McNiff in Tasmania. Colin, good morning. Good morning, David. Tell us about Turk Warriors' trial. I think it was at Launceston. It's back with Glenn Stevenson now. It was, yeah. It went to Drew Tyson for a short time. Didn't race under Drew uh, while he was training. It was more pre-training, getting ready for this next preparation. But uh, it did seem that Drew, Drew was going to take over the, the training of Turk Warrior. But uh, it is back with Glenn Stevenson, who's uh, had this horse right throughout his career. He trialled in Launceston last Friday week. was very impressive. And wherever he goes, I'd imagine he'll be having a crack perhaps at the Newmarket Handicap in a couple of weeks. That might be his first up assignment. Uh, he's a very good sprinter and he's very, very good first up. So we look forward to seeing Turk Warrior back at the uh, back at the track. You've got a good strike grab with us when it comes to trials, spotting uh, future winners <laughs> out of the trials. Now, two-year-olds uh, were trialling. Anything there uh, show above average ability? We only had the two trials in Launceston for the two-year-olds. That was the first time they'd stepped out, in fact, just on the way to Hobart now for uh, for trials this morning, and, and we've got another couple of two-year-old trials. We've got the first race coming up on the 26th of November. But Yesigi yeah, Carr had one called Miss Tasmania, uh, and it won its trial very, very impressively. So I think from what we've seen at the moment, uh, she looks a horse really to follow, Miss Tasmania. So easy, easy name to remember. Yeah, exactly right. When does the two-year-old racing start? Must be, what, only a couple of weeks away? Yeah, a couple of weeks. 26th of November, uh, I think it is. Uh, we have the first race uh, later this month. Speaking of Hobart, the 1,000-metre track record has gone by the board. It has. Look, we don't have many 1,000-metre races uh, here in, in Hobart, so we had one on Saturday. It was, uh, anyways, Roxy, who is uh, just having a second race start, and she scooted along, ran 59.02, which isn't blistering, but it did lower the mark by 0.38 of uh, of a second that was held by Gigi Golden last set uh, some three years ago. Anyways, Roxy is trained by Jessie Bazan, who's just a newcomer to the training ranks. She was 
stable foreman for Scott Brunton for uh, for a number of years, but has branched out on her own. And uh, she took two horses to the races on Saturday and came home with uh, a winning double. With anyways, Roxy winning the first. Sunset Gun winning the second. She's got a really nice training set up, Jessie. She's only young. She'd only be probably uh, well, maybe 30, I suppose, but uh, really a name to, to watch out for in the training ranks down here in Tasmania. She's, uh, she's very good, knows what she's doing. I was listening to your broadcast from Hobart on Saturday, uh, being a Doombin, and I heard the Goodwood Handicap broadcast. Hell of a night. Knocked most out $51, if you know. Mm. Look, we've had three three race meetings in five days. We had the Melbourne Cup Day meeting in Hobart, then the Wednesday night meeting in Launceston, and again in Hobart on Saturday. And and punters were having a really good time of it. Uh, the average winning price is around uh, around five dollars for those first couple of meetings, and no real long shots getting up. But the longest price winner came up in the only feature race that we had for the weekend, the Goodwood Handicap. It's a fifty thousand dollar race, a traditional lead up to the Newmarket Handicap. Um, yep, hell of a night. Uh, Gave a, a, a really good kick. It was a lovely ride by Mehmet Yulusana. He just tucked it in third. He expected a split. He told Terry Evans, uh, I reckon I'll get a split at the 200-metre mark and run home over the top of them. So there was a little bit of stable confidence about Hal overnight. At the moment, Terry's not too sure as to whether he'll go to the new market. He'll see how the horse, horse does uh, does pull up. But, yeah, a real blowout for putters in the feature race, the $50,000 Goodwood. I'm just seeing to look at the stats here. Three of its six wins have been first up. We should mm. have we should have looked at that. Yes, but as indeed. Said, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Just on mm. harness racing, you've got this series. It's called the I think the, the Dynamo series. Run over mm. the the short journey. Have, have we had heats of those? Yep. Yeah, we had it last Friday night. There was eight heats conducted, uh, all eight races over the 1120 metres, which is they start at the top of the straight in Hobart uh, and then one lap. So they're running pretty quick times. The fastest was. Uh, highly invincible for Rowan Hillier, clocking 117.51. It was a big night. There was a huge crowd out there. They had sporting clubs involved with the promotion, and it seemed to go off uh, really well. But for highly invincible, he took out the $20,000 bonus for being the fastest heat uh, winner. There was a $10,000 bonus for the owner. And Rowan Hillier, who trains and drives it, picked up two bonuses, a 7500 for the trainer and also the $2,500 uh, bonus for the drivers, so uh, pretty happy. It was restricted to fields of six for the uh, for the eight races over the eleven hundred and twenty. But I'm not sure if it's a, a gimmick or if uh, there is a future for it. But it was highly successful last Friday night. I'm sure the bean counters will have a look at the turnover and uh, make some decisions <laughs> out of that. When is the final on? No, that that was it. That was just oh, okay, right, a, a one night, eight heats. Just the fastest uh, horse was declared the the overall winner. Fair enough. Good on you, Colin. Have a good day. Thanks, David. Cheers. Colin McNiff joining us. I suppose you yeah, very similar to the Trot Rod series run at Redcliffe where they have that final night with all of those heats. That's our program for today. Press room for Monday the 13th of November. I hope you enjoyed the program. You enjoy your day as well. We'll speak soon. Bye-bye.